Good morning. Today would be a good bread baking day. Just slap some flour and water and yeast in a bowl and shove it on the porch. And when you got home for lunch, you'd have bread. It's that hot and humid. Uh, I heard this is basically Texas, so I'll take, I'll take Pennsylvania. But yeah, it's been hot. But thank you for being here. My name is Craig Mart. I am on staff here at the church as one of the pastors. I get to work in student ministries, specifically with our middle school students. And I'm thrilled to be here today to wrap up our series on Titus, to live well and do good. Uh, And so if you have your Bible, please open it up to Titus chapter 3. We're going to be ending with verses 12 through 15. We're going to be talking about why do good. When I was a senior in high school, a group of senior boys, and yes, there were girls in the class, but the senior boys had the luxury of being humble, benevolent, ever-caring. We had the opportunity to welcome in a brand new, fresh out of college, English literature, writing, you know, teacher, whatever the class is called, to keep changing the name of English. And it was our mission to make sure that she felt so welcomed into the fold. And I remember when it came to writing stories, not research papers and that kind of thing, when it came to writing stories, what stuck out to me was you start with the end. And I remember thinking in my humble, benevolent, caring, on assignment to welcome in this brand new teacher to make sure that she knew my opinion, which is, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You don't start with the end. You start at the beginning, and you work your way, and then come to realize that the grades with that approach typically didn't reflect uh, what my parents preferred. And so much to my chagrin, this humble, benevolent, welcoming, you know, senior in high school guy uh, learned from Mrs. Phelps, God bless her soul, that it was better to start with the end so that way you know how to start to get to the, where you were going to be. And that's kind of what's happening here with Titus. Yes, we're going to look at the end, but we've got to understand why is the end there? There's a bunch of stuff that was written to get us to the point where this is the conclusion of what was going on. And so that's what we have uh, going on today. So let's look at the text, Titus 3, 12 to 15. As soon as I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith Grace be with you all. Now we're going to be focusing today on verse 14 because 12, 13, 15, those are typically the way that Paul would end a letter. At the beginning, he would, you know, pretty much start them all very, very similarly where I thank and praise God for you. And at the end, he would, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to some of my, you know, homies who were there and make sure that you're taken care of and, you know, mama sends you love and don't forget to tip your waiter. Like those kind of things were what he would do. And so, not that these guys aren't important, but as you read this whole letter and you understand Paul's life, it's pretty cool, his leadership development process. And so these guys were in the process of replacing Titus, who was going to meet Paul uh, back to where he was going to spend you know, the winter months. And the other guys, um, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos, people who we mentioned on other places you know, in the Bible, they are on their way on assignment. So that's all kind of leadership development and Paul moving people around. And not that that's not important at all, but that's not the focus of what today is. Today we're going to be focusing on verse, you know, 14. 
So we can't read the end of Titus without looking at what came before it. As we look at this whole letter, if you will sit down, it's really not that long, and read this as one letter that Paul wrote through the inspiration of God to Timothy, you would notice the three different distinct sections or, or um, parts of the book where chapter one is talking about love what is good. To love it, not just, you know, every once in a while, like something about it, no, to love, devote, be dedicated to what is good. Chapter two, uh, you know, leaking into chapter three, is talking about teaching what is good. Passing on from older to younger, uh, from, you know, bosses, in, 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 in this case, we're talking about, you know, with his slaves and all the issues that were going on within the church there in Crete and with the believers, but pass that on, teach what is good. And then we get to chapter three, what is mostly focused on doing what is good. But what we have to notice is that the phrase, do what is good, is mentioned throughout this whole letter seven different times. And so it is pretty important, you know, Paul did not stutter. He was not from the Department of Redundancy Department without there being a purpose behind all the stuff that was going on. So we're told to do what is good. But what does good mean? So if you're a boss and you want to have, I want to have good employees working for me, but you never articulate what that is. You never share at the end of the quarter, we want to be here. And these are the outcomes. If, you know, be a good employee is, well, don't steal too much. Don't take too much more vacation than you're supposed to. And at least be nice to people if you're in customer service. I mean, is that what you mean by good? Or what's your definition of good? For those of us who are parents and you say, I want to have a good kid. I want to raise good kids. Well, what does that mean? That can mean all kinds of things to different people. Does it mean, you know, at least have a a 2.5 GPA. Uh, Don't get pregnant. Don't get somebody pregnant. Uh, Don't do drugs. And every once in a while, say something nice to your brother or sister. I mean, is, is that the doing good? So that phrase can be pretty vague. And if it's not clarified for us, it can be pretty frustrating. It's like having a teacher, having a boss who's constantly changing their mind with what they expect. It's like, what in the world, what mood are they going to be in today? And God is not that. What I love about Christianity is that God gives us everything that he wants us to know as plain and as clear as possible for the most essential things. He's not trying to trick us or anything else. So what does good mean? And before we get into talking about this, I want to say that the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. There are lists in the Bible, and they do help us to understand what God means to clarify different things. And in this case, in the book of Titus, it is to clarify what does it mean to do good. And other phrases in this whole letter are what's productive versus what is unproductive. What is beneficial versus what is not beneficial. And so we can't look at it as, I'm going to go home, I'm going to make a chart, and I'm going to buy some gold stars and some skull and, cross, uh, skull and crossbones you know, stickers, and every day I'm going to evaluate myself with these stickers and then feel good on good days and feel bad on bad days. That's not what God is all about. He wants to clarify things, but he wants us to live in freedom because of the transforming work of the gospel in our life to be about what he wants us to be. Not try to do in a very small compartment of our life every once in a while. It's like somebody who is, you know, a guy who is a gentleman. You either are a gentleman or you're not. You don't do a gentlemanly act every once in a while and expect that everybody knows, thinks that you are a gentleman. It's, it's who you are. It's the same thing as a follower of Christ. This needs to be who we are out of the freedom that the gospel provides, that we get to be about these things, to be very countercultural to what was happening, you know, there in Crete. So... When we look at some of the, you know, the nitty-gritty of what does good mean in this text, we're talking about what is morally good. You know, moral, what determines what is right and wrong? 
what is truth, what is not truth. And there is an absolute truth that God has set out for us. There is no other standard by which we can measure anything against as far as how we should live or not live. We're talking about God's standard of what is morally good and morally right. Right and wrong is predetermined by God. It also refers to loving that goodness, loving what God's standard is, loving what God means, devoting yourself to it, not wanting anything else in your life that's going to replace what that means. It's also referring to, like I mentioned a second ago, what is, what is useful, what is beneficial, what is productive for the kingdom of God. Remember this letter written to the believers in Crete because Crete was not a nice place. Some of the previous messages have explained in pretty good detail what the culture of Crete was like. And I'm sure there were not a lot of people that were going to plan their vacation. Hey, let's go to Crete. I hear the people are nice there. That was not happening. And so we need to be, we got to be distinct with what's going on. What is useful and beneficial to the kingdom of God and what he means by what is right and wrong and distinct from the culture around us. And it's also talking about, you know, what is praiseworthy and honorable, again, using that standard. We live in a very Crete-like culture, and so we need to be able to take very personally what Paul was sending to Titus to tell the people of that church to be distinct and to be different. It's the same thing that we need to have um, in our lives. And you can think, okay, that's great. Those that's kind of you know technical when you look up what the words you know mean in their you know, languages and that kind of stuff. But it's really not as specific as it could be. It's still a little vague and kind of you know frustrating. It's like starting a new job with a new boss, and the only instruction they give you is make us make us better. To understand good, we're going to look at it in with all seven times that it's mentioned. And throughout the whole book, what I did is I made two lists, but again, remember, it's not about the list, but to describe the two different cultures, the two different ways of living that resulted in what Crete was to versus what the kingdom of God and his people and his culture should be about. So when I talk about good and productive, just to highlight a few of them, is to be hospitable, caring for people, whether they're nice or not nice, you you care for people, hospitable, um, self-controlled, disciplined holding firm to sound doctrine, having endurance, worthy of respect, having integrity, being honest, controlled speech, saying no to ungodliness, providing for urgent needs of others. Those are the characteristics that God is giving clarity to as do what is good. And not just as a reaction against the culture because culture is always going to be moving and, and changing and shifting, but we need to be about what God gives us as definitions. Versus not good, and a good list to help as you self-evaluate your life, not good, unproductive, overbearing. You know, if mama ain't happy, no, one ha- no one's happy, that usually works out good for mama, but not for anybody else. Quick-tempered, violent, out of control. They're just talkers, liars. Deceivers, envy, hate, disobedient, lazy gluttons, slanders, you know, fools. So there's very clearly two different cultures, two different ways of life, and two different results that will happen. And so what Paul was telling Timothy, the church needs to be distinct from what was going on in Crete. Our church needs to be very distinct from what's happening in 2019 in the United States, in this area that there is a light that is shining on Hilltop Road that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ and transforming lives and getting people to be together. And so remember, the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts, but this gives us 
guidance in, in helping us with that to more naturally be about these things. And I also mention it because we can't assume our own definition of what good is at all. Because otherwise, we could end up just morphing into what the culture is around us. That's why there has to be a distinctness. I kind of compare it to on a mission trip that I uh, have been on in the past where there was a ministry that worked with those who are involved in human trafficking and freeing those that are involved in human trafficking. Remember how awful this is and the reality of how much is happening around the world, including in the United States. And what I remember uh, sticking out to me was, they said, when they go into a community, they go into a place, they go into a country, they work with the, the authorities, they work with the police, the, the political officials, community, community leaders, whoever it might be, and they have to basically teach them Selling another human being, treating them as property is not right. It is not good. It's not beneficial to your community. It's destroying what's going on. And I remember thinking, why do you have to do that? How in this day and age can that happen for people who are just, they're just innocently ignorant? And the answer is very much, there are those that do it on purpose. They know they're doing wrong and they just want to use. And and just the evil that exists is a dark kind of evil. But there are those, they've just grown up with this. They don't know any better. That's what their dad did. That's what their uncles did. And so, okay, this is what you do. And so to be brought, very, to bring a shining light to, that is not okay. And things have to change. And then getting that mindset change results in better action being taken by, you know, local people versus, you know, outsiders coming in, you know, and that kind of thing. And so we cannot, under any circumstances, make up our own definition of, you know, what is good and go our own way. So that's why Paul wrote this to clarify what he wanted to have going on there in Crete and gave it to Titus. But our main text verse is verse 14. I want us to look at that and we're going to break down verse 14. So it says, excuse me, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So as we break this down, he's talking about our people, so believers, very much those who are part of the church, that's who the audience is. Not that anybody who was a non-believer, it wouldn't benefit them, but he was talking very specifically to believers because of the cultures were not being too distinct from each other. And number two is to learn, to be involved in the process. Our people must learn to. And so like all of us, if you've been saved for Five months, 95 years, we're all still involved in the process of becoming more and more like Christ. We're absorbing and, and living out the transforming work of the gospel in our life. And so we have not ever fully arrived, and we have to choose to stay engaged in that process. So just like if you, you pick up you know, tennis, and you think, okay, I've played tennis once or twice, I'm ready for the Wimbledon final, you know, bring on Djokovic, you know, bring on Nadal, you know, bring on whoever, and like, no. You don't, you would, if you're a painter and you think, you know what, I'm going to dabble and I'm going to try and sell these things and, okay, why are they not selling for thousands of dollars? Well, there's a process that has to happen and the same thing that has to happen in, in our life. Or if you're you know, training for a half marathon or whatever and your training regimen is armpit deep in Cheetos dust and, you know, a gallon jug of Mountain Dew next to you and come, you know, race day, it's kind of like, oh, that was probably a bad choice. Uh, probably should have done something different. That, we have to stay freshly engaged in the process of what's going on. Uh, number three is to devote yourselves to what is good. What does devote mean? Well, devote is talking about, I'm going to set it over. I'm going to let it preside. I'm going to let it have authority 
and priority over my life to protect and guard. Not occasionally I'm going to give, give some time, I'm going to give some priority to what is good and what God kind of wants. No, it's I'm devoted to it. There is nothing else that I want other than what God says is good. Nothing else is going to fill me. Nothing else is going to satisfy me. On the way into church this morning, you know, early, before the first service, I saw people out running, just, you know, sweating buckets. And I'm sure if I went up to them and I offered, you know, here's an ice cold Gatorade, or here is just kind of a ooey gooey brownie, which would you rather have? I mean, nobody's going to pick the brownie. That's not going to satisfy you if you've been running for a couple miles and you are sweating, you know, buckets and buckets on a day like today. In Matthew 5, 6, which is one of the Beatitudes, as I've learned about this and I've taught through this, Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What was happening in this context is Jesus was, I'm going to get all the people who are following me for whatever reason. A bunch of people were following him, and he said, okay, time out. You are all following me, but my kingdom is going to be very different than any other earthly kingdom. So I need to clarify for you what that means. So sit down here for a second. And one of the things he says is, blessed, joyfully content are those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for then you will be filled. What that means is I want nothing in my life but the righteousness of God. Nothing else is going to satisfy me. I'm not going to choose to medicate it with something else, avoid it and push it away. I want nothing else but God's righteousness in me. I want to devote myself in Titus to what he says is good. Nothing else is going to satisfy ultimately, and I'm going to end up in the same place that I've been, just trying to, to hide, trying to find satisfaction in all the wrong places. And not just in me, but in those around me is the concept of what's going on here. So we can't just be devoted when you're at church on Sunday. It has to be all the time. That's who you are. And also in part of the book of Titus is passing that on. To be devoted to what is good is passing it on to those who are younger, passing it on to those who are less spiritually mature, being impactful, being involved in people's lives to the point where you're able to pass this stuff on. Number four, the idea of doing what is good, I want to say it's taking action. It's beyond having an intention. It's beyond, you know, I'm going to start someday to train for that half marathon because you're wiping the Cheetos dust, you know, off of your elbow. It's like, it's, it's beyond that, where I'm going to take action. Whether you feel like, you know, I'm kind of done doing the, the, the church service thing. I've, I've done that before. It's time for other people to be engaged in that. Or if you're the youngest in the room, it's, no, we all need to be engaged and actively pursuing. I'm going to devote myself to this because nothing else is going to satisfy me. There's no other reason that I'm here on earth right now except for to be about what God wants me to be. In freedom, not out of guilt, not out of, out of obligation, so taking action in order to provide for uh, urgent needs or daily necessities. kind of depends on what English translations that you have that those two are going on. And that, the big idea behind that is hospitality, loving people, taking care of people, being involved in other people's lives, getting to know them, allowing them to get to know you at the same time. And this is you know, evidenced by you know, take care of these guys who are coming to replace Titus, and take care of these guys who are coming through as they're on assignment for me. But beyond those specific four guys that are mentioned, we're talking about in this whole book, loving each other, caring for each other, getting your focus off of yourself to being engaged in each other's lives. And we have connect groups that meet on Sunday mornings here at this church that need you to be there. We have live, love, lead groups 
that are part of what this church is all about. So that way people can be in smaller groups discussing and talking and and doing life together. And even if they've had a bad experience in the past, please choose to get involved because we're following. Devote yourself to what is good. There's not an exemption clause. It's you to understand my hurts. I'm not going to dismiss anybody's hurts because everybody sitting here has had hurts. But it doesn't mean that, okay, well, I, I'm exempt because I've had a, I had a bad experience. You don't understand the people that are in my group, so we were out. You don't understand the culture. You don't understand. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, you know what, do what I want you to do, except for if you prefer not to. So, okay, we have places to get connected into this church that we want you to be connected into. If you're brand new, if you're checking things out, if it's you know, getting, working towards, the, should I say it, end of summer, and you're you know, looking for you know, a church, we want you to be connected into what's going on here. And I also want to take this time when we're talking about the idea of hospitality and taking care of people is as one of the student ministry staff, I am so thankful for this church and the way that you have cared for and loved our students. And the two specific things is when we, when we had the brunch to uh, raise awareness and prayer support and funds for our summer trips, this church engaged phenomenally, personally with the kids, and I hope that you felt it reciprocated back to you, not only to have you know, a good breakfast, but to get to know some of our students. And when this church gave over $14,000 to students where nobody was you know, turned away, all of our trips were fully funded, and middle school went to Niagara Falls, and one of our own students got saved on that trip, and the high school group went to Houston. I didn't hear too much about that because they were home for just a few days before they're in, at Downey right now, uh, probably in their church services. They had you know, their VBS, and now they're at that church with that group of people continuing their impact. I just want to say thank you for engaging that way and loving us and taking care of us. And we're working hard to make sure students feel like they are a part of this church. And because we don't want anybody to feel like in a church this size where you are alone because hospitality, doing what, doing what is good, one of the biggest points of emphasis is loving and caring and taking care of people. Putting yourself out there, allowing yourself uh, to be known by others. The second was the baptism service that we had on Palm Sunday. It just became this thing of the, the Spirit of God moving and working to make that day so wonderful and the love and support that I know our students felt it and I hope that you did as well uh, as far as what's going on, the love and care for, different things that happen. And so yes, there are plenty of other examples, but as one of the student ministries guys, I just wanted to put that in there with a little bit of an agenda. But thank you uh, so much for that. Um, And then, so at, at the end, the very last thing, he talks about not living an unproductive life. So be about believers involved in the process, doing what is good, taking care of people, to not live an unproductive life, or to to phrase it more positively, so that you are productive. When God looks down and he says, this is what you are doing, you are being productive. You are helping my kingdom. You are being distinct from the culture that is around you. And he's up there applauding, that's it. Whether it's easy, or whether it's hard, whether you have people around you who are applauding you and supportive, or you're having to stand on your own. Great. That's what we're to be about in freedom because of the transforming work of the gospel in our life. So all that might seem, you know, well and good, excuse me, and almost even, you know, formulaic. Okay, do this, do this, do this, and boom, you've got your product. Well, the Christian life is not a formula. It is a relationship with God that continues to develop and to change. And so having this kind of stuff in front of us helps 
And it's, it's better if, if you're the kind of person that when you start a habit or something, you need a list to check off. If you need to do something, you need to do something like that at the beginning, great. But hopefully eventually you get free of that where eventually you're just, you're out, you're taking better care of the habits that you want to have. But what I want to suggest is that we cannot separate the doing good imperative command that we have without the why. Why should we do good? In this letter, do good seven times. But why? Why should we do good? It helps us all to understand why should we do good. So I want to go back to some previous parts of the text. So in Titus 2, 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unwickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God and Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Titus 3, 3 through 7, to read you know, parts of this. Uh, at one time we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. You know, and it goes on to talk you know, more about that. So why? Why should we do what is good? Because he saved us, because of his grace, because we are changed people because of what he has done. This is not us muscling something together to try and, and, and keep it going in a certain direction. No, it's because of God and what he did in our life. God is saying, this is what I saved you for. This is what I want you to be about. You are my offspring. You are my child. And now you are to do good as I have been that example. So I think it's in your notes there. Why do good? Because of the transforming work of the gospel. And you have to stay freshly connected to that. I want to kind of compare it to, there are some years at Christmas time where I don't want to send out anything to anybody. Like, what would you like for Christmas? Because I am so incredibly humbly worshiping the fact that that baby came for me to live sinless and to shed his blood for my sin so that I could be saved. Why would I ask for anything else? And there are some years, not every year, there are some years where that is the case. I don't want anything but my family being together, being part of the church family, being experiencing the Christmas services and understanding more completely and freshly what that baby means to me. But there are some years, though, of course, where okay, Big Daddy does need a little something, something. For, you know, so uh, I can't come across that way. But as parents or if, you know, foster parent, whatever it might be, if you know, grandparents, you know, guardians, whatever, if you're involved in investing in someone's life, the blood, sweat, and tears that is involved in raising up a child to care for them, to want to instill godly characteristics in their life, knowing that someday they're going to go off, they're going to graduate, they're going to get married, you know, whatever God has for them. At no point in that process, at least in me, has it been, I hope that when they leave, they forget everything and they live however they want to, that they become Crete. There's way too much emotion and investment in my own life to follow God's leading, that there's no way that that can happen. And to have walked side by side with some of you, you know, if your kids aren't following Christ, it is rough. And it is so hard 
And so you see some pictures of, you know, that I've appreciated where the investment and then the ceremonies that we've done with our kids at 13, 16, and, you know, with a son at 18 and having a family purpose and pillars of godly manhood, womanhood, to want to invest so that way you can go on and be better and greater and love God more than me and the investment that they may or may not even have a clue. And that's not the point, but that we bridge that gap. So whatever position that you're in, or that you continue to give pieces of yourself that as they grow and develop and they might just take and assume things and not a whole lot of thanks, it's I give and I give and I give because I'm looking at, I want to have godly great-grandchildren as a legacy as far as what's going on. This next picture is a series of things that I'll every once in a while print off, even though my daughter, who's not here today, is older, and um, I'll write something on it, slide it under her door to continue to, to love her and to care for her. And I love these you know, paintings to be the one who is standing watch at night when there's things that are fearful under the bed, you know, whatever it might be. But other things, so when we had our son graduate from high school, it was wonderful. I was so proud of what was happening and choices that he was making, and I'm not writing any books, but there was a lot of effort going into that. And you, if hopefully some of you can relate, or if you're in the process but you're thinking long-term as far as the do good and why you do good because of the transforming work of the gospel in your life that you want to pass on. That if he just went and riotous living in college, it would, it, would, it would break my heart. And then last one, for those of you, if you've ever given your child away in marriage, that's your life that you're sending off. And so the emotions that can come to that whole process as human beings, can we imagine what God our Father, our Savior who gave everything for us so that we could become saved from our sin, to look at his followers who are not doing good? Can you imagine what that does to him? It does not make any sense. It's an oxymoron for us to be followers of him who will not do what he said. And so as believers, we're not only saved from our sin, but we're saved for a new way of living. We're saved for a new way of living right now. Our identity is as the image of God here on earth. Just like when Jesus was with his disciples in Acts chapter 2. And he said, I'm going to be leaving now. And you're to be me here on earth and do what I've been doing, doing what I've been teaching you to do. And as he ascends into heaven right before their eyes. And the angel comes and like, why are you guys standing there looking up in the sky? Get busy doing what he said. You're his image now. And all of us as believers with the Holy Spirit inside of us, that's what our identity is. We are the image of God here on earth. God has given us a purpose and it's not about you. If you're a boss, it's not about being the boss. It's about God working through you to the people that you influence. If you're involved in sports, it's not about soccer or basketball. It's about God working through you to reach the people that you play with. If you're a musician,